So wouldn't it make logical sense for David to go, the only thing standing between me and the crown was Saul. Saul's out of the picture. Time to go march into the palace and let him know I have arrived. Here I am, he sent me. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. God, what do you want me to do right now? Do you, all he asks, should I go back? He's in the wilderness. He hears about Saul's death. He mourns it. He says, okay, God, should I go back to the city? God says, yes. David doesn't just go, cool, I like Judah. No, he says, okay, Lord, what, what city? And God directs him to Judah. We have to seek the Lord. A life of faith is marked by seeking God. This is Sozo Church. We're in the midst of a series called The Human Experience. It is a, uh, a series where we are looking at the life of David. I, I hope you're as excited about what God's doing in our community as I am. Um, so First uh, Chronicles 16, 11 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Next, we've got... Isaiah 55, six through seven says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom. Everybody say the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Romans 3, 10 through 11. Are you getting an idea of what we're going to be talking about this morning? As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. And last but absolutely not least this morning before we pray, Hebrews 4, 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. All right, so... Look at this, this series called The Human Experience. And uh, I, I'm excited this morning to, to dive into um, really a turning point, a shifting point in the life of David. Uh, I'm really, really excited. But before we get there, I need, to, I need to lay some groundwork for us. Can I do that real fast? I'm gonna make a statement. I'm gonna make a statement that I believe with all of my heart. And I want you to give me a chance to see if I can't prove it to you this morning. The Bible is the single most important and valuable book ever written. The Bible is the single most important and valuable book ever written. 
The, the Bible is, 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 is of utter and total and, and greater importance than anything we could possibly ever even realize. But here's, here's why I bring it up and here's what I wanna try to unpack for us this morning is this, and I, I want us to try to wrap our minds around this. I have a great fear as a pastor. I'm, I'm concerned, I have a, a worry, and here's what my worry is. My worry is that with the ease of access that we have to the Bible today, and with the, the proliferation of, of people purporting to teach what the Bible says, that, that its message is being dismissed and that its value is being diminished. I mean, I mean just stop and realize that, that if you have one of these glowing rectangles, you, you can download, like, I counted, I went on the store and I counted 50 bajillion apps to read, study the Bible. You, you can care, I mean, you all realize, right, that we are living in the future, right? I, we don't got the moving sidewalks that the Jetsons promised me, and I can't change the elevation of my house with a button, and I don't have a robot to do all of my chores, but we're living in the future. Like, this is, this is crazy. I mean, on, my, on, my, on mine alone, and I don't say this to brag, I have like a whole folder of just Bible apps. I also hear this really crazy, they're doing it vintage style now too, where they're printing it on this stuff called paper. You can get one of these, they're great. I highly recommend one, it's fantastic. Glowing rectangle or tree carcass, it doesn't really matter. You, you, we just have so easy, you, dude, you can, I was at the grocery store the other day, you can buy the Bible at the grocery store. I mean, I knew it was food for my soul, but I didn't realize they needed to sell it at the grocery store. And I'm not saying that this is bad, okay? What I'm saying is that because it's so easy to access the Bible, I think we, we have diminished its value. Because it's so easy, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody in particular, but because it's so easy to get your opinion out, anybody and everybody claiming to be a Bible teacher just throws up a website or a blog or a podcast and, and, and or YouTube videos, those are great, aren't they? And, uh, and just kind of purports to, to, to tell the truth about, I'm a teacher of the Bible. It's like, okay, okay but, but what's your message? And I think we're, we're diminishing its importance, its value, and we're missing its message in the noise of everything that's being said. So I wanna try to bring a little bit of clarity this morning before we even jump into what we're saying. So the Bible the Bible is God's very word to his people. Can we just get, can we get a few things clear this morning? The Bible is God's very word to his people. It was written by God through man. Okay, when I say the Bible is the single most important and valuable book, this is a big reason as to why. I have lots of books. I love books. I love, I don't just love books. See, a lot of people say they love books. They just mean they love to own books. I love to read books. I, I greatly enjoy reading. But we gotta understand something. This book is not like other books. Whether it's here or in, on, your, on your flat screen, in your pocket, it's not like it was written by God through man. There's a lot of great books out there that have shaped my thinking and helped me understand things, but nothing holds the value and the weight, come on, of the scripture. 66 books written by roughly 40 authors. This is different because it's God's book. That means fundamentally, and everyone argues with me on this one, it's not about you. 
If there's one statement I make regularly about the Bible that I get the most pushback on, I say, the Bible isn't about you. Yes, it is. No, it's not. It's not about you. It's for you. Hello, somebody. But it's not about you. It's the story of God. God creates the world. Man rebels against God. God promises redemption. God performs redemption. And now God is in the business of restoring all things in the ever unfolding coming of his kingdom in the earth. God, it's the book of God. Come on. Why is it for you? It's for you. It's, it gives, the Bible gives hope to all who hear its message. That means if, if you read the Bible and you don't see God, you're fixated or focused on the wrong thing. Hint, hint, it's probably yourself. I love you. You're probably trying to see yourself too much in the Bible instead of looking for God in the Bible. If you read the Bible and you did not walk away with hope, your job was not done. You quit too early. I say that because the Bible is worthy of serious and rigorous study. I say worthy on purpose. It doesn't require. I originally was going to say requires. I don't think it requires. Uh, John Owens, I heard this, this quote this week. I loved it. John Owens said this, or John Owens said this, the Bible is like a stream in which a child may wade and an elephant may swim. How many people are picturing an elephant swimming right now? What? They do. They swim. It's creepy, but they do. They swim. And, and, and I think this is a great picture of what the scriptures are. Look, a, a, a child can understand them. And yet the smartest people in history have dedicated their life's work to study the Bible and they have not exhausted what it teaches or what it says. That's, that, that's the single most important and valuable book ever written. So in the Bible, as we study the scriptures, what I need us to understand as we come to a text like we're gonna come to today is that the Bible holds within its pages stories that are either descriptive, everybody say descriptive, or prescriptive, everybody say prescriptive. So they either describe things that happen or they call for things that should happen. And the problem is on a, on a casual reading of the Bible, we can miss which one it is. And so when we go to Old Testament books of the Bible like this, it's important for me that we get what we, we capture and we grab a hold of those things that God is calling us to and not just get lost in the stories of the Bible. That we understand what is it that God, why, let, let's put it that way, why is it that God put this here? So this morning, we're, we're going to be looking specifically at, at, the, at the chapters of 2 Samuel, of 2 2 Samuel 2, 3, 4, and the very, very beginning of 5. And I, I need us to, to, to understand that, that much of what we're about to go over is simply describing what happened. Are you with me? Am I in the right church? Okay. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and go to 2 Samuel, but I'm just going to let you in on something. If, if I tried to read all of this, you know me and I know me, I would get lost in every rabbit trail possible because when I was a little kid, they told me I had AD to something and, and, and I'll just, I'll get sidetracked. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the, the beginning part. I'll tell you all the middle part and then we'll read the end part. Is that cool? And you, you can, we just said it. You can download one of the statistically proven 50 bajillion uh, Bible apps if you want to read all the middle part. Cool. I'm gonna do it either way. You might as well just say cool. For 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, not 1 Samuel anymore, 2 Samuel chapter two, 
Uh, real fast, before we read, I gotta let you know where we are, sorry. So, so here's, here's what's happened. We, we talked about the fact that David was called out, he was anointed, he was called to be king. And then God begins to raise him up in the eyes of the people by, by victories, like the, his victory over Goliath and, and his victories in other battles. And he's taken to live with Saul there. He meets Jonathan, who becomes like his brother. Jonathan should be king next after Saul, but Jonathan sees that David ought to be king, so he makes a covenant with him. They become lifelong friends. Their souls are tied together. And, 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 and David begins to, to, to be lifted in the eyes of the people. Saul promotes him, but then becomes jealous of him and drives him out into the wilderness where David spends years out in the wilderness having all kinds of awesome, crazy adventures that are really, really cool, and you can read them on your own time. And, and there, he, he's there, and while he's in the wilderness, while he's there away from society, while he's there being equipped and being trained to be king, come on, somebody, Saul dies, and Jonathan dies. David mourns their death, and then we pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. It says, after this, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. So David went up there and his two wives, verse three, and David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the town of Hebron. This is where we need to get to, verse four. And the men of Judah came and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who buried Saul. And David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, may you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. So we have David inquiring of God, told to go to Judah, made king over Judah. Amen? We all together on this so far? Honor Saul by honoring those who honored Saul. Now we're gonna fast forward, skip over to verse eight. But Abner, everybody say but Abner. It's just fun to say. But Abner. But Abner. The son of Ner. Dude, nobody liked that kid. Can I just tell you that right now? Ner. Can you imagine What's your name? Nur. <laughs> and then he had no friends. That's what happened. It says, no, it doesn't. Um, but Abner, son of Nur, commander of Saul's army, I just love it, son of Saul's armies, took Ishbosheth. Come on. The Bible's boring. You never read the Bible. Ishbosheth. He didn't have any friends either. Son of Ishbosheth. Why? Saul names one of his sons, sons Jonathan and the other one Ishbosheth, who do you think was his favorite? <laughs> Took Ishbosheth. I double dog dare somebody who's pregnant right now to name their baby Ishbosheth. <laughs> Come on, no one else I have a name like that. Trust me. I have to stay focused. Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth becomes king. So it says he took Saul Ishbosheth and brought him over to Mahanaim, and he made him king over Gilead and over Asherite, and over Jezreel, and Ephraim, and Benjamin, and all Israel. Okay, so, so, fast forward on me. So, so here we have, do you, you get what's happened here? Have you followed along with this, with all of my sidetracks with the Ishmael? So we have David, choirs of the Lord, God says, go up to, 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 to Judah, 
Judah, for those of you who are uh, unaware of sort of the political geographical family tree of the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of God, were made up of 12 individual families. You might think of them as states or, or families or tribes or regions of, and, and groups of people. So, so David goes up and is made king over Judah, which is one of the 12 tribes. Most scholars believe probably the most prominent, probably the most powerful, but really one, one out of 12, he's made king over. And Abner uses his own intellect, his own thinking, and goes, well, if Saul was king, Jonathan should have been next. Those two dudes are dead. Let's make Ishbosheth king. Right? Like the campaign signs write themselves. Ishbosheth. It takes up the whole sign. That's what I mean. It's just the whole sign's that. People vote for him, it'll be great. So he makes Ishbosheth king over the rest of the nation. So now we, we, we have conflict. And that's what you see throughout the rest of chapter two, all of chapter three, and all of chapter four. Some, seriously, guys, crazy next level stuff starts going down. Like, like the people are, are skirmishing because this is like civil war time, right? Because you've got one of the tribes going with David and the rest of the tribes going with Ishbosheth, and all kinds of nutso violence breaks out. Wars and fighting and, and, and scheming and plotting. There's a part where David's men come up to, to, to Abner and Ishbosheth's men and they meet at a pool, the Bible tells us. They meet at a pool. I don't know why they have to tell us a pool. And they sit across from each other and here's what they come up with. How about you take 12 of your dudes and we'll take 12 of our dudes and they'll just fight because that'll mean less violence and less people have to die and that'll just settle it. And they go, that sounds good. And here's what happens. No joke. That's what the Bible says. They walk up to each other. The Bible literally gives us this detail. They grab each other with the left hand. They pull up their swords with the right hand. They all stab each other at the same time. They all fall down and die. What? You can't make this stuff up. Like, that's what, and so the, all the, 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 the idea here is like, the, the general's like, yeah, do that. And they go, that didn't work. So a war breaks out, a, a battle breaks out. And you would think, okay, straightforward battle. No, Abner gets afraid and starts running because he's Abner. And he starts running. And, and one of David's men's sons starts chasing Abner. The Bible tells us that this guy chasing him is faster than Abner, so Abner starts trying to talk him out of chasing him. You should stop. It's like, no, no, seriously, stop. Uh, no. So, so, so Abner does what totally makes sense. He's holding a spear, and he, the Bible tells us, I love the detail the Bible gives us. He tries to poke him with the back end of it, but he forgets that they're running. And, and so, the, I'm not, just PG-13. He, he hits him with the end of the spear, and the Bible says it goes through him. The butt of his spear goes through, and he falls over and dies. This makes his dad not very happy. So then we, we go over, and, and the, the battle's over, and Abner's back with Ishbosheth, and Ishbosheth accuses Abner of sleeping with one of his dad's wives, or his concubines, so it was more like a girlfriend, and, and, and Abner gets all butthurt about it, and he goes and, and, and secedes and goes to David, and is like, hey, David, I knew you were supposed to be king all the time, but we're homies, right? So I'll fight for you now. I don't like him. And David's like, cool. Forgetting that Abner killed one of his dude's sons. So that guy gets all like, like, like you know, working the, the, the mean girls thing and convinces him to come out and meet him in an outside place and kills him. Dave gets angry about that. And then on top of that, Ishbosheth gets betrayed by his men and they, they stab him to death in his own bed. That's a bad day at work. Okay? And that's where we're gonna pick up the story. Are you with me? Believe it or not, that was quicker. 2 Samuel chapter 5. See, all that, we just flew over all that. 
Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, behold, you, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, catch this, they know this. The Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people, Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. Okay, so we, we've got David anointed king over, over, over Judah, right? We have Abner setting up Ishbosheth over the rest of the nation. War violence breaks out. Eventually, both Abner and Ishbosheth are murdered. David becomes king of all the nations. If you're honest with yourself, you should be thinking right now, theologically speaking, huh? What now? Here's my question. This is my honest question. Why is all of that written down in the Bible? Like, wh wh I mean, why? What, what, okay, I believe God wrote the Bible. I believe that it gives me hope. It's about God. What am I supposed to see? Come on. In David gets king over one tribe, then a whole bunch of blood happens, and then David becomes king over everybody. How, how am I supposed to, what am I, what's the message? What, what's, what's, what's the point here? I want to propose to you this. I want to say that what God is trying to show us here is a virtuous path, Okay? What, what I think God is trying to get through to his people is he's trying to show us in this account, in this story, most of this story, I'm just gonna let the cat out of the bag, is just descriptive. If you're going to this text looking for prescriptions on how to live your life, like, well, if I have conflict, I need to get 12 dudes out, they need to all line up, they need to all stab each other at the same time, and then it'll work out. No. Wrong message. Not right message. If you're thinking, if a, well, the Bible says if a king's bad, you can go into his bed and stab him while he's in his bed and kill him. Wrong message. So what is the point? Let's unpack it and let's go. I don't have a lot of time, but let's go as quick as we possibly can, which means nothing when a preacher says it. Starting points. Promise you this will make sense. Starting points this is what we need to get, get, get kind of in our framework as we go to the text. I want to try to teach you how to walk through text like this. Can I do that in the next 10 minutes? I'm going to talk real fast. You're going to listen real fast. So starting points. We have to have a framework when we go to a text like this. If you try to go to a text like this with no framework, you're going to be lost. Okay, so go to, a, go to the text with a framework. Here's the framework I want us to have as we look at this. God's desire and design is for his people to live by faith. I get that from Romans 1.17. The just shall live by faith. Okay. God desires and designed his people to live by faith. What is faith? Faith is to hear and obey God. I get that from Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing God. So if, if faith is hearing, but faith is not just hearing, faith is obeying because the Bible says that faith without works is, finish it, dead. Faith without works is dead. So that means faith, to be real faith, is to hear God and to Obey God. 
Amen? Are we together on this? So here's my, conclusion, my, my, my big statement. This is it right here. A life of faith is marked by seeking and submitting to God. I think that's what this text is trying to show us. A life of faith is marked by seeking and submitting to God. If we look at this story, we, we see David. We see David in chapter two. David is, is already promised to be king. Amen? We, we read that in, in 1 Samuel. God, he already has a word from God. You are to be king over my people, shepherd of my people, prince over the nation of Israel. You're my God. David, you're my guy. The Bible actually says David has a heart like God's heart. So wouldn't it make logical sense for David to go, the only thing standing between me and the crown was Saul. Saul's out of the picture. Time to go march into the palace and let him know I have arrived. Here I am, he sent me. But what does David do? David doesn't just say, God, I know your promise. He says, God, I wanna know your process. He doesn't just look for the destination. He says, I wanna know the steps. God, what do you want me to do right now? Do you, all he asks, should I go back? He's in the wilderness. He hears about Saul's death. He mourns it. He says, okay, God, should I go back to the city? God says, yes. David doesn't just go, cool, I like Judah. No, he says, okay, Lord, what, what city? And God directs him to Judah. We have to seek the Lord. A life of faith is marked by seeking God. God has designed us to be in relationship. Part of the reason why he's designed us to live by faith and part of the reason why he's designed us to be dependent upon faith is so we're dependent upon him. So that we rely upon, come on, him. So if we're, if we're gonna learn from this text, what we need to see is David sought the Lord. God desires, listen to me, obedience, not sacrifice. We gotta get this out of our head. Our, our religious mindset makes us think, you know, like, anybody ever thought this one? Whatever the more miserable option is, that's clearly what God wants me to do. Well, I like this. We think about, we think about it like God's some sort of dietitian. If it tastes good, don't eat it. I love it. My wife tells me this all the time. You'll learn to like it. I'm a slow learner. I'm eating a lot more spinach lately. You want to know how? I put it in a blender with a bunch of strawberries. Scoop of vanilla ice cream. I can eat all the spinach you want. It's awesome. Spinach is the best long as it's with vanilla ice cream and <laughs> strawberries and as long as the proportion is like 10 strawberries and ice creams to one <laughs> we, we get this mindset like God is just some sort of cosmic killjoy like he's just up in heaven going like mm, that looks fun don't do it that looks enjoyable stop it Instead of realizing that God has made us to enjoy the highest joy, which is him. Listen, for a finitely infinite being to stand in awe and in wonder of an infinitely valuable and, and, and good God is the highest value and joy we could ever know. God desires for us to seek him. He desires for us to encounter him. He desires for us to spend time seeking after him. David knew this because he had a heart like God's heart. 
So when the opportunity came, he didn't just go, I'm gonna jump at the opportunity. He said, no, I'm gonna submit to God. I'm gonna continue to seek God for this. And that seeking God led to submitting to God. And I picked that word on purpose. I wanted to, I wanted to say, we, we, a life of faith is a life of seeking and savoring God. That's what I wanted to say, because I wanted you to like me. But what David did was not savor God, he submitted to God. God said it, and David did it. Listen, if you've been reading through the life of David, you know that what David wanted to do was walk right into the, into the city and pronounce himself king over the nation of Israel. That's David's heart. And David's, that would have been David's default, right? David's default would have been to do that. How do I know this? Because it mentions one of his wives here, Nabal, the, the, the wife of a dude named Nabal. And, and, and in that story, if you've been reading through it, was, it was last week you would have read it. Nabal just disrespects David, doesn't let him, doesn't pay him back for guarding his men. And David literally jumps on all of his horses, gets all of his men, is like, we're gonna go kill him. David, calm down. I know David's default would have been to go and just pronounce himself king, but yet he had a heart that had been transformed. His heart was like God's heart, so he sought after God so that he could submit to God, so that he could do what God says. I, I, need, to, I need to be really, really clear on this for a second. I, I, I wanna make sure that you hear what I'm trying to, to say. I, I am, listen to me, I am, I'm in the camp of the charismatics. Right? I believe wholeheartedly that God is a God to be experienced. That God desires for us to encounter his presence. That God desires for us to know him intimately and personally. That God, God wants to come and meet us as we worship him. That worship is not just meant to be us saying things, but rather us declaring who God is and us encountering who God is. Amen? But let me tell you something. God is not an experience. God is not a force, he has a face. And his face has a mouth and his mouth speaks and when he speaks, we are to listen and obey. I get nervous because there was a study done about, I don't know, it was about six years ago. Yeah, it would have been six years ago because or the study was concluded and published about six years ago because I read it right before we planted the church and one of the things that scared me, they, they interviewed, it was a little over 10,000 people in America and when they, when they asked some of those people and said, uh, you know, are, are you a Christian? Are you a, do you believe the Bible? Are you, are you a believer? And those people that said, no, they, 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 in those people, they tried to find people that had attended church. Maybe a friend invited them and they went. And they, they said, all those people, they questioned them, they pulled them and they said, what did you like about church? Did you like anything? Oh, I, I loved, one element consistently through all of them, a lot of them loved, vast majority, something like 87% said that they loved the Worship, the music. Why? Oh, it made me feel good. I little goosebumps in the back of my neck. It was great. I really felt God there. Okay, that, that, let me just, I'm gonna give them a pass because they're not believers, right? I mean, literally, if you, if you read some of these reports, like, I love the music. It was so great, and it was so awesome. It was like the best concert I've ever been to. The preacher guy was a jerk. I really like him. He was really opinionated. He was really judgmental. I judged him and judged him to be judgmental. And... And he was very close-minded. He seemed to think that like what he was saying was truth, even though I didn't think it was truth. And, um, and I really didn't like the preacher guy, but the music was really, really good. Here's the scary part, though. I, I give them a pass. That's, that's fine. They're not regenerated. They're, the Bible tells me they're dead in their spirit, okay? So they get a pass. Here's what worried me. Those 
that claimed to be believers, but yet couldn't answer simple questions about basic doctrinal issues. And I'm not talking about, you know, what were the names of the, the, the sorcerers who, you know, uh, withstood against Moses in, in Egypt's palace. I'm not talking about those kind of references, okay? I'm talking about like, how is one saved? Who is Jesus? People that couldn't answer those questions, but still claimed to be believers, guess what? They said the same things the non-believers did about their favorite parts of church and the things they didn't like. See, we have, we have associated experiencing God with God. Hello, somebody. We, we say God's, the, 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 that God is this cosmic force. We say stuff like this. God is everywhere all the time. Yes. And no. Yes, we believe in the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere all the time. But do any of you in this room believe that God's presence is the same right now at Point Nemo? Does anybody know what Point Nemo is? Point Nemo is literally, scientifically, the middle of nowhere. It is the farthest place in the world from anywhere. It's 1,400 miles from anything. It's in the middle of the South Pacific Ocean, in case you're wondering. I flew over it. The captain came on. You are now in the middle of nowhere. Thanks. A whole lot I can do about it. Um, I've been, I can say I've been to the middle of nowhere. Um, my wife thinks I drive through there anytime I'm trying to get to somewhere I don't know how to get to. Um, and uh, she's right, by the way. Uh, do you really believe that God right now is present the same way at Point Nemo as he was on the cross at Calvary? No, of course not. So we, we, we say God is just a cosmic force. No, he's not. You are not a Jedi. He is not the force. Okay? God, God is a person. He has a face. God longs to be experienced, but he is not an experience. Let me talk to some charismatics for a minute. If your encounters with God are not birthing obedience in your life, I doubt that what you are encountering is God. I can say that because I'm in your camp. We got people talking all the time, selling books, talking about encountering God here and encountering God there, and, and I saw Jesus here, and I saw Jesus. Listen, I'm just gonna level with you for a second. If you claim to me that you saw Jesus in person or saw an angel in person, and the, your, your immediate reaction was not to fall down, I doubt you really saw him. I love you. We, we use God said as sort of like a trump card. <laughs> Well, God said, okay. Um, people tell me all the time, well, that's old covenant. Every, everywhere, if you read the Bible, when people see God, they fall down. Literally, the first thing out of the mouths of angels and, and manifestations of God to his people is, don't be afraid. Why does he say that? Because they're afraid. They're like, that's old covenant. Really? Because in Revelation, John is like seeing all this crazy stuff and then he hears a voice and, and the Bible says he turned to see the voice, which don't even get me started on preaching about seeing the voice. But that's a whole nother message. And he turns around and the Bible literally says he fell down as if dead. And somehow on all the flannel graphs I've ever seen, John falling down as if dead is like, hold on, just gotta, hi. No, fall down as if dead means like John was like, oh wow, look at all this stuff. Dead, like Boom, gone, dead. I saw Jesus the other day. Really, did you poop yourself? 
Because if, if that was not your response, then I doubt what you saw was Jesus. I love you. I'm not saying you didn't have a great experience, but come on. We got to get back to realizing that if God encounters us, when God speaks to his people, look, the, the, the normative in the Bible, when God speaks to his people, it's to tell them to do something they don't want to do. But 99.97256% of the people that come to me to tell me a word that God gave them is something they already wanted to do. Oh, I love you and you don't love me to right now. God is a God to be experienced, but he is a God to be obeyed. And for the believer, for the believer, listen to me, for the believer, the primary place that we seek and submit to God is the scriptures. That's what I'm trying to get to. Primary place that we seek and submit to God is in the scriptures. I picked on the charismatics for a while. Let me pick on the intellectuals for a while. This ain't God either. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not, trying to propose that we buy one of them big old Bibles and put it up here and we all come down and we worship it. We don't worship this, but we do submit to what God says in it. And it is worthy, come on, of rigorous and serious study. Our thinking and our behavior ought to be shaped by what we're seeing in, this, in the text of the Bible. Now, let me make sure I'm clear. I am not saying that we just become mindless robots. We just read it and we just do whatever and we just, no, I'm saying the invitation to seek and to submit to God in the scripture is an invitation, a 2,000 year old invitation to come and wrestle with what God says in his word. Look, I've, I've walked with the Lord for a while now. I've, I've done the, the Bible study college thing and I've, I've, I've read the books and there are still things that I come across and go, okay, wait, God, why? Well, okay, God, you're, you're gonna have to help me on this one. And listen, most of the time, he, or some of the time, rather, he changes my perspective. He, he lifts me up and helps me see that I'm missing the forest for the tree in front of me. A lot of times, that's what happens. Sometimes he just changed my perspective. He just says, hey, take a step over here. Oh, now I see it. Okay, Lord, thank you. But more times than not, he changes me. The wrestling changes who I am. The wrestling transforms my thinking and transforms who I am and how I process. And, and, and all of a sudden now I'm a different person than when I began to wrestle with the text. See, one of these dangers I talked about earlier is you can go and find whole hosts of people that will tell you, they're just echoes. They're just telling you back what you wanna hear. Find a perspective on the Bible that you want, type it into the Google machine, and you'll find blogs and websites and even churches that claim to teach that. But listen, we're a part of a 2,000-year-old family that's been studying and wrestling with the text, and, and, and we got a name for people who are hearing things that no one's ever heard before. You can get a name tag, Joseph Smith, and put it on. That It's a cult. It's not the truth. So he's like, you're gonna offend a Mormon. I hope I offend you into the kingdom. <laughs> it, look, we, we got a name. They're called heretics. It's, it's, not, it's not what the Bible teaches. Oh, well, they got a chapter and a verse. I, I got a chapter and a verse to tell you if you have a conflict with somebody to go find 12 dudes and have them all stab each other. But is that the message? I don't read the Bible because it's a book of violence. Yeah, there's violence in here, but what's the point? Oh, I love the Bible. It's a book of love. Yes, it's a book of love, but what's the point of the love? Who's loved? Where does love come from? What type of love? Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? This is a book worth wrestling with. 
And I'm not talking about for 42 minutes on a Sunday morning while I talk. Why do we, why do we put the time and the energy and the money into creating booklets like we do for our series? To try to give you tools to wrestle with God because you're gonna be transformed when you wrestle with the text yourself. When you go through it and you push through it and you try to figure out what it is. So I, here, here, I'm gonna land the plane. I, I don't got any more time. I've used up all my time. I, I just wanna propose to you that seeking and submitting are the legs that we walk the life of faith with. We need both. They, they've gotta go together. You, you've gotta seek. You've gotta hear God. You have, to, you have to hear him. He wants to speak to you. Listen to me. God wants to speak to you more than you wanna hear God. And he has spoken to you right here. That proves that he wants to speak to you more than you want to hear. Because he's speaking, and the question is, are you seeking? The truth is, Romans told us, no one seeks God unless God is seeking you. The reason why it's so important to seek God is because it is the evidence that God is seeking you. So we seek after him. That's one leg, but if all we do is one leg, we're walking in circles. I just seek God all the time. Cool, what's the last thing he said to you? He loves me. What did he say before that? He cares about me. What about before that? He really likes raspberry sherbet. <laughs> okay, are you only eating raspberry sherbet then? We seek. But then when we hear, come on, we submit. And then we seek. And then we submit. You have two legs. You're supposed to have two legs. A large, pod, large podcast audience. Don't offend anybody. We need both. Are you hearing me this morning? They go together. Why do they go together? Because it is by the very commandment of God. Listen, if you, if you think just submitting to God is gonna get you there, you're wrong. You can't submit to God without God. Did you know that? <laughs> Lazarus, friend of Jesus, gets sick, dies. It's in a grave. Jesus comes to his funeral. <laughs> Walks up to Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus, come forth. And I, I gotta think that one, at least one person was like me there and is looking at Jesus like, dude, Jesus is nuts. Dude's dead. Jesus, I know we're supposed to seek and submit to you, but um, <clears throat> Lazarus is dead. He can't walk. But what happens to Lazarus? In the very word comes the faith, comes the power, comes the grace for Lazarus to obey. That's why you have to seek. It's not just enough to submit. But that's why you have to submit. Lazarus just didn't like lay in the grave and go, I'm so glad I'm alive. I think I'm gonna choose Jesus. And then he gets up and walks out. And that's not what happened. One word. And in that word came the power and the grace to obey. Listen, wrestle. But let the wrestle bring comfort. Let the wrestle bring conformity as it brings clarity, amen? Let's stand to our feet. This morning, uh, we're gonna respond to the Lord, but I wanna just ask you some questions to ponder. One of, the, one of the biggest things we try to do in our response time is give you an opportunity to seek. Just give some time here to just seek the Lord so that, come on, 
you can submit as we go out from here. That way, that's why we say it's not about behavior modification to us. It's not about me standing up here and trying to give you 17 things to do this week. Just seek him. Come on, just seek him. We're called to seek after the Lord. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. David understood this. David came before the Lord and he, and he, he literally, he's going, I, I see all this stuff happening, but, but Lord, should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go? If I stay, there may be trouble, but if I go, it could be double. So you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? So I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're facing this morning, but that's really, it's really what you need to hear. It's not about knowing the destination. That's the beautiful thing about God. It's not about knowing the destination. He wants to, he wants to guide your very steps. I really think there are some people here this morning that have some decisions they have to make in the very near future. It could be today, it could be this week, I don't know. And you need to hear that, that, that there, is, there is a God who wants to speak to you. There is a God who's longing to direct your path. Trust in the Lord, the scripture tells us, with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That's what Abner did, right? He did the, the logical thing. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him, invite him in, and he's gonna direct your path. That's what he does. He's designed you to be dependent upon him. So stop thinking that your, your dependence and the expression of your dependence in seeking him is, is evidence of some sort of unnatural, unholy, unright weakness in you. No, that's how he designed you. So you'd seek him. So you would go after him. So you would chase after him. And when you hear, know that with the hearing comes the faith to obey.